Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. is the executive director of Sisters in Crime. I am very happy to be having a conversation about writing with Marla Bredine today. Marla writes both mysteries as herself and as Paige Sleuth, a former software consultant and analyst. She gave up her day job in 2012 and now enjoys killing off imaginary people with lives much more interesting than hers. And we'll see about that. While she's not plotting murder, she spends her time catering to the demands of her two rescue cats. Marla, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Julie. I'm happy to be here. I'm very happy to have this conversation. So the writing journey and the publishing journey are two separate journeys, and you've had an interesting path that converges. But let's start talk about, you know, how how you decided to become a writer. When did you just say to yourself, I want to write a novel? Um, so I've always kind of had this dream that I wanted to write a novel. And when I was a kid, I used to write stories, just short, silly stories. And then um, when I became in my 20s, I figured, well, I'll start working on something longer. So I ended up starting my first novel that I completed in 2004. And um, I actually, I'm sure I have some uncompleted novels (laughs) on some (laughs) old floppy disks that I'm probably pretty happy I can't access anymore. Uh, But the first novel I ended up, starting in 2004, and I finished it in 2006. And then I, I ended up querying agents for a couple of years with no success. So I, I kept writing off and on while I was working a day job, but I didn't really have the mental energy to really focus on writing a second novel while I was working. So when I ended up quitting my job in 2012, I needed something to do, so I picked it up again. And was that first novel a mystery, a crime novel, or or was it in another genre? My first novel is probably more chiclet, like humorous women's fiction, but there is a big mystery element to it, and I've always been drawn to mysteries. Yeah. Did you read them as a, as a child or, or as a young adult? Yeah. As a child, I used to read Trixie Belden, <laughs> a lot of the Trixie yeah. Belden books. And then um, there was some Nancy Drew, probably not as much as Trixie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Trixie um, is an influence on several uh, mystery writers, I know. So that's awesome. Um, And when you, it's interesting when you talk about floppy disks and zip drives, are you like I am and you can't bear to throw them away even though you can't (laughs) access them? Well, I finally did throw them away a couple years ago because I I said, well, I can't, I can't look at these anyway. So (laughs) I might as well just get rid of them because I was just hauling them around from apartment to apartment. (laughs) I know technology has, I mean, 2004 doesn't seem like that long ago, but so much has changed both in the technology, but also in publishing, um, in, in those, you know, whatever, 17 years. Um, and yeah, so amazing. <laughs> really has been amazing, um, in a lot of ways and, and pretty, pretty foundational. Um, it, but as a writer, you know, you, you get better at writing 
by writing. Right. <laughs> um, but have you, you know, what's the best piece and the worst piece of writing advice you've gotten? Um, the best piece is probably you have to put the time in. So mm -hmm. I think I heard the benchmark of like 1 million words is kind of when you're considered to know enough about your craft <laughs> to really, to really have a good handle on it. So you, you have to just, uh, have the discipline to sit down and do it. And the yeah. worst, the worst writing advice I've ever gotten I don't think I've ever gotten any real bad writing advice, but some sometimes you hear things from people like uh, you need to be on Instagram, you need to be on Twitter, you need to be on Facebook. And I think maybe this wasn't advice so much from one person, but if you take all that in collectively, you might think you have to do everything. And I think that's a mistake. <laughs> because if you try to do everything, you're going to spread yourself too thin and you won't do anything really well. That's great. That's great advice right there. And especially, you know, as people work on the publishing part of their journey, yeah. um, you know, so I would say, you know, just pick the things that you enjoy and do those. Yeah. With intention. Right. <laughs> so what's your writing process like? So I'm very scattered. <laughs> so I, I might go months without writing anything and then I'll, I'll sit down and like write a novel in a couple of weeks. So um, I guess you could say my motivation kind of wanes, <laughs> wanes and waxes. And I'm, I'm very much a pantser, so I tend not to outline too much. I've tried, and I know, <laughs> I know my uh, first drafts would be a lot cleaner if I could do it, but I just haven't been able to get myself to do that. Well, everyone has finds their process that works for them <clears throat> and can, you know, can have both, um, you know, pantsing and plotting, um, plotting tendencies. Do you, should we define what a pantser is for folks? Sure. So a pantser for me is um, I don't really know where the story's going. I just sit down and start writing and then I edit it later when I figure out what's going on. And I, I think um, in a lot of cases, there's probably not much difference between pantsers and plotters. Plotters are the people who outline before they start writing. But I think um, the people who outline tend to do their pantsing during the outline <laughs> phase. So, I think that you're right. I think that the, plot, the, the, the outline is their first draft. Because yeah. part of the yeah. fun of writing is uh, figuring out what's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, I, that might sound strange to people who don't write, but, but it... Part of the joy is not knowing where it's going to end up sometimes. <laughs> it is. There's, <clears throat> it is, there's magic in as, as part of writing. And I don't think we talk about that enough. Yeah. Because you know? your brain, you know, your subconscious works in mysterious ways. So <laughs> it does. Well, do you think that you're, you're, you know, going for weeks without writing is actually your subconscious sort of getting your characters and some ideas fermented so that when you sit down, you can, you're ready to go. Um, I would like to think so, but <laughs> I think it's more just laziness. <laughs> <laughs> well, can we talk a little bit about your publishing journey and how the, your writing journey and your publishing journey um, converge because you are an indie author. How many books have you um, published so far? Um, I have about 40-something. Most of them are novella length, so they're not mm -hmm. full novels. And what would you define as novella length? So mine are about 20,000 words. I think the upper limit is about 40,000. 
somewhere in yeah. between that range is considered a novella. And that's a sweet spot for so many people that 20 to 40,000 word, you know. Yeah, um, they're fun to yeah. write. And also I like reading them too, because sometimes you just don't want to sit there and read a long novel for a week. <laughs> you just want to, you know, yeah. read something over a couple of days or one session. Yeah. So you've got a mixture of novels and novellas, but 40 is a lot. And that's been since 2012? Yes. Um, I did end up publishing that one that I finished in 2006. So, <laughs> so that one's been published too. And did you go back after you'd done some other novels and edit and, and get it ready? Did you find that you, you needed to work on it or, or how was that journey for you? Yes. Um, before I published it the first time, I cut a bunch of stuff. Because <laughs> back when I back in 2006, I didn't know any better. And so I had some scenes that didn't really move the story forward. So I ended up cutting a bunch of that stuff. And then I ended up re-editing it a couple years after I self-published it um, to cut even more. So, And I think that that editing brain uh, and, and developing that that ability is something that is we don't talk enough about um, in our writing journeys. You know, we talk about the creative part, but the editing part is some is a whole different skill set that you need to develop over time. Yes, and I actually enjoy editing more than I enjoy writing the first draft because first drafts are painful. <laughs> I've heard that from several people that the. the um, uh, you know, I, Heli Afron once said that it was like putting a log through a meat grinder, <laughs> getting that first draft done yeah. was just so hard. But the editing is when you're shaping it into what you want it to be. Right. And so can we talk about that process for you? Because uh, do you have an outside editor or, or do you have readers in, in any part of that process as you're getting things ready to be published? No. Um, when I first started out, I did have some beta readers. I probably should have chosen like more professional editors, but I just had some friends read it and give me feedback. Um, and now I usually just self-edit. So... And do you let it sit for a while? Do you work on, you know, different projects at the same time? How, you know, how does that work with you, for you? I usually don't let it sit for too long, um, which I probably should do more of that. But, <laughs> but usually once I get it done, I, <laughs> I'm like eager to see it finished. So, yeah. And do you edit it, uh, you know, two or three times or, or how to how, just let us know about your process, because you, when you're self-publishing uh, or, you know, an indie author, you're, you're doing the whole thing yourself. So you could, you know, get it ready and then do the, the mechanical part of getting the book ready. So it's a lot of juggling of things. Um, and, you know, do you set a deadline for yourself? Do you say I'm, you know, do you put pre-sales up for your books and say it's, so it's going to be ready by this date or how do you, <laughs> how do you keep yourself motivated? Um, so I don't do deadlines. <laughs> it would, it would actually scare me a lot to have a pre-order without a book written already. <laughs> so if, when I do pre-orders, which I've only done a couple, um, the book has been ready to go when I, when I have that. Um, so what I tend to do is I write my first draft and then as I'm writing the first draft, I'm always going back and editing. So by the time I get to the second draft, I should have a coherent story. And then, um, and then I just read through it and, you know, polish it and fix it until it looks right. I would, 
I would say it usually takes me probably about three to six read throughs, but it depends mm -hmm. on the project. And then once, once I feel that the story is polished, um, I do my very slow uh, proofreading because it's yeah. your own book. If you're proofreading yourself, you have to go <laughs> very slow in order to catch the missing words and the extra words. And I, I do a little bit of line editing at the same time. And then when, once that's done, I do my final read through and then I upload it pretty much the same day. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, and These are when novellas, you... so the, the final read through only takes a few hours and then I can usually just upload it at the same time. And you sit on your first draft, you go back, at, you know, between your first and second, you go back as you're writing your first draft and edit. So do you like read the previous scene to get yourself back or how do you, how do you do that? Yeah. Um, so as I'm writing, I'm figuring out the story. So sometimes I have to go back and cut scenes or, you know, um, add like some foreshadowing and things like that. So it, it varies, but I'm always going back during the first draft and then fixing things because it's very hard for me to know that something's wrong in like chapter two and work on chapter six. <laughs> so I, I tend to have to go back and fix it. Um, otherwise it'll bug me. <laughs> it's so interesting to hear pe different people's um, techniques of dealing with this. Yeah. Even during nano, I've tried nano a couple times. Um, I have to go back and edit. I know they tell you not to do that just to get the words <laughs> down, but it, I can't really uh, move forward sometimes unless I fix what was wrong before, or at least at the very minimum, I have to make a note that, you know, I need to go back and fix this. <laughs> right. Right. Otherwise it's going, it's, it's just going to stop you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you write series? Do you write standalones? Do you write a mix? Tell us about your, your books and your, your, you know, your, what you focus on. My novels are all standalones and writing standalones is actually probably my preference. But when, you, when it comes to marketing, series are a lot easier to market. So my main, um, the main series that I focus on is my Cozy Cat Caper mystery series that I write as Paige Sleuth. And I tend, I tend to focus on those nowadays because those are the only books that sell. <laughs> but I would actually like to write another series. It would probably still be another cat series, but something different. And would you just, cat series always sell well, um, and adding cats to books is always a good idea. Um, but do you, would, what genre do you put these books? They're amateur sleuths? Yeah, they're uh, cozy mysteries. So, you know, no, no excessive gore or language, sexual, sexual situations. And what about your standalones? My standalones um, are also kind of cozy mystery. A few of them are lean more towards the chiclet side. And then I have one that's uh, a bit of a suspense thriller, but it's nothing dark. It's not a dark suspense thriller. It's more like a humorous <laughs> suspense thriller. It's oh, kind of hard good. for me to write without any humor. <laughs> so. Well, but for a lot of people, it's hard to write with humor. Yeah. Um, do you, is that just your normal voice that you like to be funny and make people laugh as you're writing? I like to think other people will laugh at them. I know I do. <laughs> do you even laugh after the sixth time reading it? Uh, sometimes. <laughs> it depends on what's in there. Then you really know that it's a success yeah. if you're laughing six times later. <laughs> sometimes I'm crying by the sixth reading, so <laughs> it all depends. 
It all depends. Um, and are your page um, sleuth, are they more novella length or your series or are they, they novels? Yeah, the page sleuth books are all novella length. And I bet people love to read them because they are, you know, novella length. As you said, it's, it's, they can, they can binge read a bunch of them. Yeah. And also, you know, sometimes you don't want to sit there for a long time engrossed in a, in a novel. You just want to read something real quick, you know, escape for a while, especially during like the pandemic. I think a lot of people had short attention spans <laughs> for anything other than the news. So it was, it would be nice just to sit down with a short book and have it be completed in a couple hours. And also cozies give people an escape. So it's guaranteed that they're going to uh, have a happy ending. Justice is, you know, restored and all of those things, which I think people needed during the pandemic as well. Right. Now, are you adding the pandemic in any of your books? I haven't yet. And I don't really plan to. (laughs) The Cozy Cat Caper Mystery Series, I started in 2015 And in the series itself, um, they've only progressed like a year and a half. So they're still in 2016. So I still have a while before I have to worry about (laughs) how to deal with the pandemic. And by then it will have some kind of historical back look, which will be more helpful. Yeah. I might just skip that year altogether. Hopefully it'll be a year only. (laughs) I know. I know. I think these are decisions we, you know, that writers need to make is, is how to deal with with now, if you're writing a current day, are you really writing current day or are you writing peer, pre or post pandemic current day? Yeah. Um, so when you're indie, an indie author, you're editing and proofing and getting your, uh, your novel up on, uh, you know, on all the different places it can go, which is another whole (laughs) way of thinking uh, about things. But you need a cover for them and you need, you know, jacket copy and all all the other stuff. Do you do all that yourself as well? Yes. And I actually, sometimes I enjoy working on the cover more than the book (laughs) because it's fun (laughs) and uh, it's a good way to procrastinate. (laughs) Well, your covers are great. So obviously this is a... um, a talent of yours? Is it, is it something you taught yourself? Because cover art is really important. I mean, it's, it's, it is an art to know how to, to make a good cover. Yes. And I, I think, um, cover design is probably a lot like writing. When I first started out, they were pretty bad, (laughs) but I didn't really know enough, uh, to make them look good. So, so they definitely progressed. And if, if you go to Goodreads, you can see some of the old covers which aren't very good. <laughs> but the nice but, thing about self-publishing is you can always go back and update things. So Yeah. Update covers or update anything you want to, which, I mean, it's work. It's not immediate, but you can, you're in control of it all. Right. And it's the same with the jacket covers. Um, when I first did my blurbs, I think they were just tiny little blurbs about, you know, they didn't really say that much. So I've actually um, recently been trying to go back and update my series blurbs. Oh, that's great. And are you adding, you know, reviews or, you know, comments from readers or anything like that? No, um, I don't read my reviews. (laughs) So (laughs) the good ones make you feel good for about one minute and the bad ones make you feel bad for like three or four days. (laughs) So I tend not to read them and I, I, I think that that is a sound policy because um, 
they can't, you know, I, I know some people read them and, uh, you know, take them to heart or, or, you know, it's just reviews aren't the way you can weigh how your writing went. I mean, it's, it's a, again, it's a different way of looking at things. Yeah. Well, readers, yeah. they're, they're all going to have their own um, point of view. You know, everyone's coming from a different place. So some people will like it. Some people won't like it. And that's just the way it is for any book. <laughs> or any piece of art. Right. right. I had a friend who used to say, that's why they make different color refrigerators. <laughs> <laughs> if everyone liked true. the same thing, there'd only be one color refrigerator. <laughs> Um, and so why, you know, on your publishing journey, do you, like, what have you learned about that? Cause that is, a, you're running your own business. You need to do that as a writer and, and, you know, we're taping this in 2021, you, no matter what your publishing path, you need to take the business side seriously, um, these days, you know, no publisher is going to do it all for you. Um, but when you're self-publishing, you really, uh, you're in control of it all, but you also have to do it all. And so what, what are some tips that you would give folks to make sure that they do it well? Well, the first thing would be, don't be afraid to fail. Because the nice thing about self-publishing is you can always go back and change things, you know. So if your covers are horrible, I mean, if, if you don't have the skill set yourself and you don't care to learn, you can always hire somebody later. Same with blurbs. There are people you can pay to write your blurbs if you don't want to write them yourself. So don't yeah. be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to experiment. Um, I mean, like you said, we do all our own marketing, but it's also easier in a lot of ways because we can control that stuff. If I want to have a sale next week, I can just go ahead and drop my prices. I don't have to get publisher clearance or do any of that. And do you, um, uh, do you, are you, do you go wide with your um, self-publishing with your, you know, indie yes. world? Yes. Yeah. Yes. All my books are wide. Um, I, I like it that better that way. It doesn't give me anxiety to have all my books just on one retailer. And if they tank or they decide to close my account <laughs> for some reason, right. then I'm dead in the water. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So to um, for folks who are interested, you know, going wide is not not relying solely on Amazon to distribute your book. Right. Um, for self-publishing, there's there's basically two paths. You can go. Wide, which means you distribute to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, all the major online retailers. Or you can um, go Amazon exclusive, which gives you the benefit of having your books enrolled in um, Kindle Unlimited. So readers can use that program. It's a subscription-based program. But Amazon requires exclusivity for the indie authors in order to be in that program. Yeah. And and uh, it's a very interesting um world and and something that I, I think it's it behooves everyone to understand because uh, you know again distribution and how your books are getting out there is is something that you don't think about when you're writing um, but it's it's a really important part of the whole um, process yeah yeah and there's there's I mean if you go wide there's different ways to do it too you can go direct to the retailers or you can use an aggregator who will distribute your book everywhere so it all depends on preference. <laughs> and do you, uh, you do your own 
work, but do you help other people or do you, you know, or do you have a publishing empire or, um, you know, or, or do you focus on your own work only? Um, I really just focus on my own work. In the past couple years, um, I've done a couple anthologies. So last year, I coordinated a self-published anthology with some other crime writers of color self-published authors. So that was called Festive Mayhem, which was just available for the holidays. And we're actually doing another one this year. <laughs> so there'll be another Festive Mayhem 2 coming this holiday season. And um, I'm actually organizing my first group sale uh, for indie authors this month. It'll be in a couple weeks. So, so the idea so what is... is the idea is um, I'm getting together with some other authors, and then we each have either a free or a 99 cent ebook available to readers. And I'll put up a page on my website that lists all the books and the retail links. And then we all share that with our newsletter lists and social media fans so that we get the collective uh, reader group to look at our books um, that they may not have otherwise known about. And that way you can also, you know, get your mailing list increased and, and all the all the rest of it as well. Yeah, if, if they choose to sign up for that, uh, these aren't really reader magnets. They're more like sale books to introduce readers, new readers to our works. But yeah, you can you can do newsletter builder events, too. There's a lot of that stuff going on. Yeah. And when you're doing something like that, a group sale, do you um, do you? I don't even know how you would you measure success with this. Like, do you say, I'm really hoping I will sell, you know, a hundred books this way and then see how it goes or, or, you know, what do you, what do you do as far as the metrics or how you want to, how you want to do things? Well, success for me would just, I'm offering a free book. So success for me would just be having more downloads than I typically would get. Yeah. And that's, and, yeah, with the free books, the idea is that people go on to read the others, and that's that's how you earn your living. So it's kind of hard to tell where, where those readers come from. Are they coming from the group sale? Are they coming from a random browser on Amazon who happened to find you? <laughs> so I just, right. I just look at, you know, how many free books am I moving? And there's no cost for the sale, so the worst that we can lose is just some time. <laughs> Which is great. I mean, again, trying and figuring out how to get more readers and how more eyes on your um, on your series, so that if they uh, do, are you said putting the first book on sale so that it will just get them moving through the series? Yeah, my first book is actually perma free at the moment, which means it's always free. So that's I put that out there as a sample of my work, and it's actually not my best book, but. <laughs> But it's the first in the series, and so people tend to like to start at the beginning. So oh, it's always free, for now anyway. Um, as an indie author, I can always change my mind later if I decide to. But that's what uh, people can go and read it, and then if they enjoy it, maybe they'll go on to read the others. Maybe not, which is okay too. <laughs> so when you, again, for when you wrote your first book, 2006, and then, you know, you you started your writing career in, in 2012. The, it, everything had changed so much. What do you wish you'd known sooner um, as on both your writing and publishing career? Um, well, in 2012, I had no idea that there were like author groups available, like Sisters in Crime. <laughs> so writing for me back then was like very much in a bubble. It was just me sitting at home working on my laptop. <laughs> 
And then um, I think it was probably a year. It was after a year when I had published a couple of books already, when I figured out that there were author groups on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And so I joined one of those. And then I actually um, learned a lot from the other authors as well. So that's that's when I first figured out that covers were important. Because <laughs> originally I was just like, oh, I just need something to put out there. <laughs> so Joining community and community being part of the writing journey isn't something people automatically think of or, you know, they think of writers as such a writing as such a solitary activity. But it really is important to find other people who understand what you're doing. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think it also helps. um, When I first started out, I didn't know that you could um, have critique partners and things like that. So when I was... When I found that author group, uh, I think a couple of us ended up critiquing for each other. And you learn just as much by critiquing somebody else's work as you do when they critique yours. So it's actually a very useful activity. Very useful. You have to be careful about who your critique partners are <laughs> <laughs> so that they don't uh, you know, try to write your book the way they want it written. So yeah. you know, I, that's always a tricky thing as well. And I always tell people if I'm critiquing for them, you know, take or leave what you want. It's your book. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and with your, and, and being an indie author, it's truly, you're making all the decisions. And as you said, you, you're just going to be nimble. If, if you need to make a different decision, make a different decision, but, um, but do it. Um, yeah. So, and the nice thing about being indie is you can do that even after you've published. So <laughs> No, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot, uh, there's a lot to it, but it's, I, I think one of the conversations that I've been having with indie authors, uh, is that it's, it's just, you've got to be mindful about every one of these steps and, and, you know, don't, don't shortcut yourself because you're representing your own work, which is, is just an extra layer of work. Right. Yeah. But it's fun too. <laughs> Uh, it's really fun. And so are your um, cover work, I, I'm still intrigued by it because it's, uh, it is a different skill set. When you talked about finding out the importance of covers, you know, what are some things people should think about if they're trying to make their own cover on Canva or something like that? So the most important thing is that your cover communicates your genre and kind of the overall tone of your story. If you have a mystery book, you know, with a lot of death, you don't want to put two, a couple kissing <laughs> on the cover if, if, you know, that's not really part of the plot. So, so yeah, it has to communicate kind of the tone and the genre of your story, but don't get too hung up on um, actually including a scene from your book. I think that's, right. that's a big mistake. You just want to communicate the overall feel of your story. And also... And um, the thing I didn't know at first is you can buy stock art. I, I don't do my own drawings and stuff. I mean, I might do some little things, but I don't do my own art. I just go and buy it, which is what I didn't, I didn't know that was an option when I first started. So. And do you go, do, what company do you use for your stock art? I use deposit photos mostly right now. I do have, um, I buy, I tend to buy credits and then I use the credits. Um, and then there's also vector stock. I still have some credits there, but I don't use them as often anymore. 
It's an amazing, uh, you know, I encourage people to go and look at your covers because they're really great. <laughs> and they do exactly what you said. You know, if somebody's looking at Amazon and they run across your books, they're going to know what that book is. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work in their brain, which is really helpful. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. On my particular covers, I use a combination of stock art and pictures of my own two rescue cats because <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the series is... Uh, very cat-centric. So I figure the cat on there will communicate to people that <laughs> this is a cat mystery. Yes. People people um, in cozies, having an, a cat in the cozy is, is almost a prerequisite, but having them on the cover only helps. <laughs> yes. People love cats. <laughs> people do love cats. Um, so what, what you mentioned the sale. What's, what else is next for you? Um, well, we have that anthology in the Crime Writers of Color group that we're working on right now. So that should launch in October. I'm also part of another anthology that's going to be traditionally published in November. And this is also a Crime Writers of Color project that's being spearheaded by Abby Vandiver. So we've each contributed like a suspense short story to that. So that'll be exciting. It'll be my first uh, traditional publishing experience. <laughs> so I get to see the other side. <laughs> And when is that going to come uh, be come out? November 9th, I believe, is the publication date. It's called Midnight Hour. That's exciting. So you're going to have two anthologies out <clears throat> uh, at the end of this year. And what was, remind me of the holiday, uh, holiday one so that people can get the first one and then... Um, well, the first one is no for longer for sale. It was just limited ah. edition. Um a couple of the stories, though, some of us have published on our own. So I, I think Delia Pitts has her story up on her website. And then Jennifer J. Chow has published her short story. And then I published mine, Holiday Holdup, by Paige Sleuth. And that was Festive Mayhem. And then Festive Mayhem 2 should be coming in October. And this one's right, just so going to be a cozy collection. So folks should stay tuned because it, will that be a limited edition as well? Yes, just for Ooh. the holiday season. <laughs> so make sure that you're, you know, you, you hit by at the, you know, between October and December so that you can get it on your Kindle and read. Yes, and, read. and the links will be up on the Crime Writers of Color website. And then there's also a bunch of uh, the other members have books listed there too, so. Yeah, I'll put a link to the Crime Writers of Color website uh, page uh, in the show notes for this okay. um, because people should know about Crime Writers of Color and get on that mailing list as well. Um, and they also have a podcast. Um, so lots yes. To and if they ever need, if people ever need help uh, finding books on the website, they can let me know because I do the coding for the books page. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, <laughs> that's so, not a small thing to do. For so I know, sure. I know how the, the search works <laughs> so I can find them easy. That's uh, it, there's so much that goes into uh, websites and and making searches work and doing things easily. So yeah, um, I think if I wasn't writing, I would be programming, which which was actually my first love, <laughs> and I, I was actually thinking of majoring in, of that in college, but it didn't end up happening. So, but I but do I do, do program for fun a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say you're doing it for crime rates of color and likely your own things and and you know that probably that part of your brain probably helps with the business as well 
Maybe. <laughs> mm-hmm. We'll see. Or it just um, uh, gives me a reason to procrastinate. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all need reasons to procrastinate. Yeah. Um, well, Marla, this has been a great conversation. I thank you so much for being on the podcast and for sharing your wisdom. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited that Sisters in Crime is launching this. I am too. I am too. I, 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 it's a lot of fun to work on, and I hope that it inspires some writers um, as they're either in the beginning, the middle, or well-established on their own journeys. Yes. And the nice thing about Sisters in Crime is that they welcome everyone. Yeah, they, we, you know, we do. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that and, and Sisters in Crime and, and what it means? Um, well, this is only my first year as a member, but the reason I joined is I was asked to volunteer to help administer the Pride Award, which was new this year, and also the um, Eleanor Taylor Bland Award. Um, yeah, but, but the reason, um, at first I said no, actually, because I figured it would take a lot of time, but, but the mission is so important that I changed my mind a couple of days later. <laughs> so I'm, I'm volunteering to help administer those awards, and it, it's, it's really heartening to see all the upcoming writers who are out there and taking their craft seriously and already know about Sisters in Crime. So they have that advantage ahead of me <laughs> anyway. Well, we're glad you're part of the organization and really grateful that you've been helping uh, work on administering those two grants, the Eleanor Taylor Bland uh, Crime Writers of Color Award and the Pride Award, which is for emerging LBGTQIA plus writers, um, are both annual awards. So, you know, whenever you're listening to this episode of the podcast, check out the website and you can find out more about the submission, the guidelines, and when they, um, the awards are open and closed, but it's not a small thing to administer uh, these awards, and it's a great team that's doing it. So we're grateful for your work on that as well. Yeah, Valerie and Mia, who are also on the team, they've been great to work with. So, And Sherry yeah. uh, worked with us on the Pride Award, Sherry Harris, because this is her legacy project, and she's been wonderful too. Yeah, it's it's uh, Sisters in Crime, as you said, you know, welcomes anyone at any stage of their career and uh, and helps people build their communities, which, as we talked about earlier, is such an important part that we don't always think about when we first start out. Yeah. Um, you don't have to write by yourself. <laughs> you don't. It's uh, as a matter of fact, you don't want to write by yourself. <laughs> um or you do want to write by yourself, but you need somebody who understands what you're doing. Um, so thank you so much, Marlon. Thanks for all the work you're doing for Sisters in Crime. Well, thank you, Julie, for having me. And you've been a big help, too, with the awards. My pleasure. My pleasure. I'm so glad they're going well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.